Coming to you from our opulent and luxurious 4x8 refurbished broom closet at the National Headquarters in Indianapolis. With duct tape, studio lights, and a mic that you barely can hear, we hope to entertain and educate you. This is the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. They call me crazy because I'm facing all my giants. They try to scare me into thinking I can't fight it. They tell me I should never even think of trying. But that's just me. I'm going to live out in defiance. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Tango Alpha Lima Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Seavey, coming to you from our national headquarters here in Indianapolis, Indiana. I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Ashley Garbolja Moldonado from our nation's capital in Washington, D.C., and Jeff Daly coming at us from Hollywood, California. Ashley is a former MP in the Ohio National Guard, and Jeff is a former Marine who was working on his uh, Eddie Murphy lookalike, but he shaved the mustache. And I cannot tell you how upset I am with that. I, that mustache, you would have only been happy for like three minutes. I yeah, was doing but, an in, in progress shave. And, dude, it was spectacular, though. You looked so much like you, like you were going to stay at the Beverly Palms Hotel, and uh, it, it was spectacular. <laughs> Ashley looking uh, as angry as ever, which is always, always fodder for the show. So we love that. Thank you. <laughs> hey, come on, smile. Big Ten football is back in about a month and a half. All right. Well, we are joined today by a very special guest. That's Anaya Crocker. And I, I say, unhesitantly say, one of the favorite people I've ever had at Boys State and Boys Nation. Anaya was uh, elected the president of Boys Nation. And I don't even know how many years ago it was now. How, how many years ago was it? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I think 2016. Is that right? 2016. So four years now. Which was it? Which was a spectacular, spectacular year for Boys Nation, and by far the the best Boys Nation year we've ever had. And we will go into that in a little bit. But uh, I will say that uh, I had a gentleman's bet at that uh, Boys Nation, and I won a dollar uh, when Mr. Crocker was elected president. And I don't believe the race was close, uh, and it was all over. But some pitiful crying after the uh, debate but it was spectacular and i will say too uh that the voice that you're about to hear from anaya crocker is his actual voice it's not a radio driver <laughs> which is amazing because i i you if you if everything else fails and i know you're about to take the lsat and if whatever if all that falls through you've got to go work for audible.com you've got to be I, like <laughs> i need to have you reading the hobbit to me so i can go to sleep to it every night <laughs> But uh, I, I am not going to go into Anaya's background too much. Uh, I will note that, uh, as I said, he's uh, looking to potentially go to law school. Uh, he's a musician. He's an incredibly talented speaker. Uh, and he's at, at Vanderbilt, which is one of, the, one of the best colleges and universities in the country, in my opinion. So, Anaya, thank you so much for joining us. Um, one of the, one of the things that we wanted to talk to you about, and you kind of ruined the surprise by not watching the boy state documentary, which is abhorrent <laughs> to me, but, uh, you know, the boy state documentary is really bringing that program to the fore. And first of all, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, you know, what you're doing now, 
and then maybe walk us through uh, your experience at Boys State and then what you found at Boys Nation. Right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I did kind of kind of spoil the milk by not watching the uh, Boys State documentary. It's not for any reason other than the fact that I'm, as you said, prepping for the LSAT. So between sleeping and eating and that, I really don't have much time for anything else. Uh, a little bit about myself. Uh, I am a native Tennessean, so the accent as well is real. Yeah. Uh, just from about 45 minutes outside of Nashville, a little town called Springfield. Uh, beautiful town, agricultural community. Uh, our big, our big uh, staples were were whiskey and uh, tobacco, which explains some of my vices. So uh, <laughs> happy to come from that community. I uh, took an interest young into kind of politics and the law. Also, have worked as an opera singer and a conductor uh, at the same time of doing all those things. So. I've done mock trial and, you know, national competitions and speaking competitions and, and done things like that, worked for campaigns, but also I uh, have worked internationally, uh, nationally, internationally as an opera singer, uh, doing competitions, and I'm the conductor of a uh, community chorus in Springfield, and orchestra, as well as working as a Baptist music minister uh, in, uh, in the town that I come from. So that's a little about me. I went to the Tennessee Boys State program, of course, the volunteer state boys uh, program, which is, I think, the best boys state program in the United States. But again, I may be partial. Our program is operated by the Tennessee National Guard. So it's kind of like a week at boot camp. You know, we, we're up at like five o'clock in the morning. Uh, we're expected to have all of our room, everything in form. We're out in formation by city, which kind of function like companies. Uh, we're out in front of the flag in the morning. Uh, they play the trumpet in the morning and we all stand there and salute the flag Then we have our morning kind of brief and then it's off to whether we're going to PT or whether we're going to go to drill practice or we go to breakfast uh, and kind of at that program I realized that I wanted to run for governor uh, because it's just awesome uh, the whole last day is a full parade and inauguration for the governor so however many boys are there, I think it runs about six to 700. I, I may be off on that. It's a, it's a good deal of boys. All form up, guide-ons with the flags. They all march. Tennessee also has a Boys State marching band. So if you come to Boys State and you play an instrument you go and, and you want to be in the band, you kind of do that. That kind of becomes your city. Uh, so the band leads the way. Police escort, state troopers, news, all the families come. They march all the way down the main drag at Tennessee Tech. They go to, uh, to the big football stadium there. The governor sits with his cabinet in the review box. Uh, then uh, the adjutant general runs out, and uh, the governor gets to go, pass and review, and then there's a full pass and review. Everybody moves over to the uh, big uh, basketball center there, and then the governor gives a big speech, and then he's sworn in by the chief justice. So I knew this was something I wanted to do because I, I was passionate about some of the issues we were talking about, and uh, I decided that in my city I wasn't going to run for mayor. Uh, incidentally, my mayor, a, a guy named Chip, he's an awesome guy, I go to Vanderbilt with him now. I run into him all the time, so... I, uh, I kind of came up and was uh, a circuit judge first, and then I was elected my party chairman, which probably not supposed to be party chairman and then run for governor, but nobody stopped me. Uh, so I was party chairman and then got the nomination and then was able to secure uh, the office of the governor. So served as the governor, then was appointed a Senate senator position and went to D.C. and did Boys Nation.
So that's yeah. my little walkthrough. We'll we'll talk about Boys Nation because that was <laughs> that was a, a a year. You know, they I, I remember when the, um, the the clips came out for the Boys State documentary, and everyone was like talking about the machinations that were going on behind the scenes, and oh my lord, how could these kids do such horrible things? Well. It, it it everything in the world that I've ever seen pales in comparison to your year at Boys Nation. Oh, we, we, it was not not uh, not on your part, I should say. Anaya did largely uh, <laughs> largely stay out of the mud, but it was uh, pretty crazy. But uh, Jeff, we'll go to you for the first question. Ooh, I get to start. Okay, yep. so. Um, I've, I've what I've noticed when doing the, the little research on you. And uh, it's you seem D- to DNA test, criminal background check. Yeah, we've been snooping through your trash. <laughs> you you seem to turn your back on the the way that society has evolved into hyper specialization. You've kind of become you're becoming a Renaissance man, which I appreciate and admire, and uh, attempt to do the same with with fewer results than you get. So let's I mean you're a you you excel in a diverse universe of activities from opera singing to thinking to speaking to politics and all of it. And it it's it's uh and it's fascinating to watch and they'll probably if you do ascend to the presidency of the United States, I can't wait to see the biographies that come out of that because it's <laughs> fascinating. So my question to you, and there is one, I get there eventually, is how does that experience of being so good at everything and and so many different things contribute to your success in a culture that prizes specialization? Like how does how do you how do you marry those two things? Well, first off, let me thank you for a uh a shining, a shining review of my activities. I, your check is in the mail. Thank you, Jeff. I, I'll get, <laughs> uh, you know, I'll tell you, you're really speaking at the heart of, of something I firmly believe. You know, I think, um, I think specialization is certainly is the tide of modern academia, especially, um, you know, especially at the undergraduate level, which I have objections to to some degree. Uh, there are some degree programs here at Vanderbilt that, to me and to a lot of the professors that I've worked with, are so specific that you almost think, well, isn't that really a graduate level, you know, a graduate level program? Because if you say I get a degree in something as specific as, I don't know, like women and gender studies, you know, like the, that, it's not that that's an invalid field, certainly far from it, but it's so specific that at an undergraduate level, I just wor- I wonder what the job prospects of that are. You know, if I graduate with that, and there are other majors like that. As far as being a Renaissance man, it's funny you say that. You know, I very much so subscribe to the kind of the the, the Renaissance ideals, uh, especially you know, the, the Renaissance in Italy. Kind of what they thought was that you spent this time in your life learning how to learn. And then after that, you went and did something that you were good at. Uh, so I believe in that very much. I believe that my undergrad and that my high school time are more about learning how to learn than learning something really, 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 really focused. Doesn't mean I can't do it well, 
but I, I think we've equated doing something well with only doing that. And I just don't buy into that. You know, I come from a, a blue collar family and first first person in the family to go to college. And all of those all of those family members are good at a bunch of things. You you have to be when you come from kind of that economic class. You have to be able to fix your own washer and tile a roof and do plumbing work. You have to be. So I was around that type of mentality all through my childhood, um, which I guess in turn led to me realizing that if I was passionate about something, I cared about something, uh, that there's no reason I, I can't work really hard and get good at it, whether that be something that's related to something else or something completely different. Um, and I guess in the way that I kind of fit into society is that, you know, I'm very much so a big believer in letting my work speak for itself. Um, and I think that if I'm able to do a number of things well, which I hope I am, that uh, that 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 will stand up against if, if the quality of my work in one specific area is of the same quality of someone who only focuses on that one specific area, then to me, that's about you know, six or 12, half a dozen of another. So I, I think that plurality in the minds of anyone, but especially my generation, uh, is one of the most important skills that we can facilitate. So that that's what I try to do. Well, it's interesting to me that, uh, especially the 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 opera and actually just the music in general, and because I can tell you, I I grew up doing theater. Um, I do not have an operatic voice, so your your future is safe in that endeavor. Uh, <laughs> but I, I took lessons from I took lessons from theater and sports and you know high school debate and all these things that that contribute to the mediocre level of success that I have <laughs> uh, although my mother would probably say it's less than zero <laughs> but so the I'm curious about the things like what do you take from your passions that uh, propel you in your pursuits Oh boy! Um, yeah, way to put him on know, the spot. <laughs> I think that uh, I think that from my childhood and the things that I do as an opera singer or as a conductor or as a history major, you know, when I write a big paper, the one thing that's the same through all of those things, and this may be a roundabout way of getting to what you're asking, but the one thing that's the same through all those <clears> things is that we are a species of storytellers. We like to tell stories. We like to have good stories told to us. Uh, we learn from stories. We, we, we bond through our stories. So whether I'm writing a paper or you know, doing a comparative analysis of you know, Roman law or I'm singing an aria or I'm conducting a work or I'm playing piano, I feel as though I am compelled to do so with the intent of telling a story because that's how we relate to people is through that exchange of experience. So, you know, I think if there's one thing that I kind of glean from those things that I allow to kind of allow me to do things or feel motivated, it's that I think there's always a good story to tell and uh, I'm, I'm happy to tell the story. So then my last thing, and then because I see Mark, <clears throat> this is a quick and easy one. Did you participate in the talent show? 
Uh, I did. I, I did. I did. I was. Uh, I did participate in the uh, Boys State talent show. I don't think I did anything at the Boys Nation talent show. Did we have one? I can't remember. I don't think we did. I, I don't think don't we remember. did. And was if we op- did, I was. Go ahead. Did, was it opera? Did you do opera? I, I I played piano and I sang. Yeah, that's what I did. So I think I sang the Tennessee Waltz, actually. So just just to throw it out there, there's a pretty good uh, video of Anaya uh, that the American Legion did. And uh, you can uh, you can oh, see Anaya playing the and, and I and I would say that as someone who majored in sub-Saharan African politics, who has never once been to sub-Saharan Africa, uh, <laughs> I, I applaud and appreciate it. And, you know, it's, I do think that's one of the failings of our undergraduate is that the things that we really need, the skills that are really needed are, you know, for an undergrad, it should be. English. It should be these things that you're actually going to use the rest of your life. Because I can see where, and this is not to bust on geologists because I love geologists, but if you're studying and getting your undergrad in geology, it's a little hard to go from geology to something else. But on the other hand, I do understand that if you want to be a physicist, you have to start early. And it, it's kind of a quandary to, to, to assume that an 18-year-old has their entire life charted out in front of them and that is one of the beauties i will say of law school too is that uh you know i have i have friends that it was in law school with that were art history majors and everything else and once you arrive at law school no one cares no literally no one cares what your undergrad was or where you're from or anything else so ashley uh can are we back online we are not. Ashley is still. Uh, Ashley is still incommunicado. So I'll tell you what. We uh, we have to pay the bills anyway. So we will take a quick break here, and we will be back with Anaya Crocker, the 2016 Boys Nation president. We will be back in just a few moments. If you care about disabled veterans and children in need, and we know you do, donate today to the American Legion Veterans and Children's Foundation. Any amount helps. Donate online at legion.org forward slash donate. All right, we are back here with Anaya Crocker, the 2016 Boys Nation president and my Facebook friend. And actually, I would say my friend. I got to I got to hang out with Anaya at the uh, annual convention that year. And I remember, uh, I don't even remember where it was, but I remember I was super excited when Anaya came running up because no one ever knows who the hell I am and people largely ignore me. Anaya actually shockingly seemed excited to see me, and I was excited to see him. So it was uh, it was great being able to you know spend time with you. And 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 I you know we do have the, the a lot of the boys from that year at Boys Nation have stayed in touch on Facebook, and it is spectacular to see where they're all going. And just to to brag on Anaya a little bit, I, he kind of briefly mentioned it, but you're going to be conducting somewhere pretty big here in the near future, aren't you, Anaya? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I received a contract uh, to make my debut at Carnegie Hall, conducting the uh, Schubert Mass in G. So I'm very excited about that. You know, it's been touch and go trying to make that concert happen with the coronavirus. Uh, but the concert's still on the books, and registration's still open for that concert, and tickets are still being sold. So June 5th, 2021, I may have a stick in my hand on stage at Carnegie. So well, I'm very excited. We're, we're proud of you, Anaya. All right, yeah, let's go to Ashley here. Hopefully she uh, she can hear us, and uh, she'll have a question for Anaya. Absolutely. So in the, before we break, 
uh, we were talking about higher education and, you know, the expectation at 18, you're supposed to know what you're supposed to do, right? Like we're kind of just fed this line of, Hey, if you do this and here's the next milestone. And we talked a little bit about the specialization. Um, so used to work in higher education, used to run a veteran program in a metropolitan city, had just an ample amount of experience working with uh, veterans in transition to students who would come in out of the blue and they're having these uh, these pressures, right? So it's like, I have to know what I have to do. I have to get all these A's. I have to get to the next step. And it's I will say, and it's really refreshing to hear that you're really kind of this like jack of all trades, but like there are just these niches that you are just so passionate about. What would be your advice to, you know, students out there who, you know, have thought about getting involved um, or pursuing their passion? How would you, or what would you say to them? Um, you know, I would say have a team of people you can talk to. Um, uh, in both my opera life and my conducting life, my music life as a whole, and my political and public speaking and those things, I've, I've been blessed to have a team of friends, advisors, confidants that I can go to and talk to. Um, sound counsel and reasoned decision making are imperative at this age uh, if you are pursuing your passion. For example, I love music. Uh, and up until this past July, intended to attend graduate school uh, for music. Uh, I'm kind of, you know, having a late game change up here, deciding that I'm going to take the LSAT. Um, now, granted, um, I, I have a second major in law, history, and society. So I, I, I'm not totally removed from that field. Um, but the coronavirus shut down my industry. You know, it, 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 it shuttered it. And I was fortunate to have, you know, a job that, that I was able to continue working in, but a lot of my friends uh, were not. Uh, and it made me realize that on the note of specialization, my path is highly specialized. When it comes to extractable skills, if I didn't have a law, history, and society second major, I mean, it would be hard to apply to certain, you know, positions as a voice performance only major. Um, and I, I want a political career in my life. That's, that's something I've always known that I wanted. The dream job is to one day be the governor of the great state of Tennessee. That's, that's what I want to do. I have no designs on higher office than that. Uh, but, but, but the governor of the state of Tennessee is, is what I want to try for. Um, and, you know, the coronavirus made me realize that while I love music and while I love what I do, uh, I'm not able to have as a direct effect on policy and on people and helping people and helping communities as I would like uh, to have. And the law is really the way that I'm going to get at that. So speaking personally, I use the people around me to help me talk through that decision. Um, so having a good team of people around you and being reasoned and well thought um, and flexible and adjustable. That's, that's the key to success, or at least it has been for me. And I thank you for that. I think that is incredibly important for you to say having mentorship and having folks that you can just, you know, whether it's spin an idea, whether it's like, I want to start a business or I'm thinking about changing my major or, 
I, you know, don't know if this is for me. Maybe I'm better off with, with a tech opportunity where I can work with my hands and be in the trades, right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's so many opportunities out there and not to limit yourself, but also to think about how you can market yourself and your personal brand. And I think you've done an excellent job with that. And I think with any programming you can always take advantage of, and I'm sure, you know, Boys Nation was uh, really the epitome that gave you really that that next level. So, you know, um, I'll tell you just just as a quick caveat, you know, what you were saying there about you know technical degrees and things like that. You know, before I came to Vanderbilt, no one that I looked up to in my hometown, none of my heroes had a four year degree. I mean, you don't you don't have to have that. You know, that's something we've kind of fed my generation is that to be good or to be worthy or to make money, you need this degree. And that's that's just not true. It's not true. All of my heroes were working people and they were happy to be doing the work. I will say one thing on the music side is that I, I saw something recently that um, in World War Two, when they were looking to crack all the codes and they had these code breakers that the vast bulk of the people that they selected to work in the code breakers were musicians. And I thought that hmm. was uh, fairly interesting that they were able to see patterns and things of that nature that, that uh, other people don't see. So kind of, kind of interesting. Jeff, you're up, buddy. Oh man. You guys have all said so many things that make me want to ask follow-up <laughs> questions. Like, so Mark, what you just said about the music thing, I've, I've heard that there is a link between uh, the same parts of the brain that make someone good at music and math. And that's one of the justifications for bringing music and arts back into education, which, wow, why don't I just make that my first question? What what are your thoughts on arts and and education, just in, in how we better prepare our youth to succeed oh geez um you know i think that uh i think that music is a a uniquely human experience and uh, so is art Uh, they're uniquely uniquely human you know the oldest civilization the oldest town we've discovered is a town called uruk which is out in the Middle East. I, I got to interrupt you for one second. This is where we get to watch Ashley and I pay really close attention because we're super interested in this. And this is where Jeff's eyes will glaze over. So go on about Uruk and <laughs> no, no, please no. go we're for as, as long as humanly possible. <laughs> talking about something in reality. He's not talking about three-hour movies about places that don't exist. He's talking about something real. Anthropology is where it's at. Please go on, Anaya. So, you know, Uruk is an ancient Sumerian city founded around 4000 BC. It's in uh, the the kind of now dry eastern channel of the Euphrates River. Uh, And it's the earliest example we have of an urban conglomerate. You know, this is a place that was built to last. It's, you know, we have streets and we have market areas and we have art on the walls there. So, you know, that, that, that represents, you know, that, that represents civilization, society. But some of the earliest human activity we have uh, is on a cavern in Spain. And uh, <laughs> on this cavern in Spain, these people took their hands 
and they put them on the wall, and they crushed up these, uh, these ochre and things, and they blew it through a pipe, and it made this imprint of their hands on the wall. And there's no purpose for that other than it looks like art. They're not representative of animals. They're just handprints on the wall. Um, and those are 64,000 years old, which means that 57,000 years before we ever felt the desire to build a city, somebody felt like they needed to create art. I think that's a powerful testimony for the meaning of art as it relates to us as a species. I was inspired through art. I was inspired, even law, even if I became a trial lawyer, that is still a performance. That is still a, a creative and, and artistic experience. A lot of kids, you know, a lot of kids go home to places that maybe aren't inspiring for them. And if we need, <laughs> and if we pride ourselves on a strong public education system, then an inextricable part of that education system should be the arts um, and should be music. So uh, that's, that's my soapbox. Interesting. No, I, so I'm, I'm going to pivot a little bit back away from that because that question just popped in my head. And I'm sure I don't know the answer to this. I looked it up once, but I forgot. And I'm sure CB will do just like this and tell me the answer about the number of former presidents that have gone through the boys state and nation uh, thing. CB, do you know that answer? Uh, no, I don't think I do. It's quite a few. I don't, I it, don't either. It's, it's, it's more than one, I will tell you that. Uh, so do you, your boys' state and boys' nation experience, they're all, and the, the grand total of that experience is two weeks, am I correct? That's right, between boys' state and boys' nation. That's boys right. nation. So all... And it sounds like it's such a compact, concentrated experience. I'm just, and and now I think you, the way that you're speaking about your future endeavors seems really influenced by that. Secondarily to to the music thing, but uh, but I think the music thing probably got you there. That inspiration probably in, had mm -hmm. took you along a certain path that got you to boy, made you successful in boy state and boys nation. But what about boys state? What is, I didn't go, I didn't know what it was till I joined the American Legion, to be honest with you. What is it about boys state that makes you in particular and you all, or in your language, y'all like rise to the top and succeed in so many different areas. I think Michael Jordan was at Boys State for crying out loud. Um, it just seems like a, uh, it just seems like a stew of success. A delicious, well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, delicious, quite uh, savory. Uh, I'll tell you, you know, the, 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 the fellows I was around at Boys Nation, though it was for a week, you know, uh, are some of the greatest people I've ever met. And I still talk to them. We have a group me, and we stay in touch, and we talk about politics, and we talk about, you know, uh, you know and then there's a biblical tie-in here with the idea of, you know, as iron sharpens iron, so, so a man shall sharpen another man, which is to say that Boy State, Boy's Nation puts you in a community that, at least for a week, you determine the outcome of. So at Boys State, we're our own governance. We're our own system. We're expected to 
birth leaders in this short period of time that can guide, you know, our societies. So, you know, if, if, if I think that there's any kind of, you know, kind of magic to that process, it's that suddenly we each go from our disparate lives, you know, boys coming down off the mountain in East Tennessee, up from the Delta in West Tennessee, from the hills and the hollers, and we all come together. And suddenly we are our own state. Suddenly we have our own government. And it sounds silly until you're going off of about three hours of sleep and, you know, some, some sergeant is screaming in your face and you haven't eaten and you're sweating and all the delirium mixes together to where you really care about this as if it were real to you, as if it's real. So when something becomes that real and that meaningful, you want to take care of it. And even though it's only a week, you you are awake for the majority of that week, uh, and it's a lot of you know it's a lot of brain time. I spent a lot of boy state, the t- boy state, thinking about how do I get elected, how can I help, what are the connections I can make, and then at boys nation it was very much so. Do I know policies? Do I understand this issue? Well, what if they ask this? So it makes you care, and it makes you care about more than what you're doing next or or in a larger sense, more than about you, teaches you the value of community and the palpable impact of hard work on a community. So that, that I mean, that was, that was kind of the, 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 the wonder of it for me, was that it, it taught me how to work with others to improve our environments. Wow. That's, yep, that's all. Wait, hold on. <laughs> Also, all of the yeses. <clears throat> well, I, I'm going to go back to the music real quick, though. I don't, I don't know how you can judge people on music, but my three favorite bands are Flogging Molly, The Grateful Dead, and Leo Mariccioni, who no one has ever heard of, but is a Danish guy that does cover songs. Am I just confused and should be teleported back to 43,000 BC to start over again, or do you, is there going to is there hope for me? Oh, there's hope for you. I mean, you know, I listen to. Uh, I mean. I don't know if there's hope for you, but it's not because of the music if there's not hope for you. It's other stuff. It could be all, be all the gray in that beard. It's what it could be. Yeah, it could be all that. But, uh, you know, as far as music goes, I love opera music. You won't find me riding around town listening to it. You know, when I'm driving around town, I'm listening to, like, I don't know, Orleans or Steely Dan, the greatest band of all time, or uh, yeah, don't you don't you do that? Okay, there's no room for debate with Steely Dan. <laughs> Donald Fagan and Walter Becker got it right from the first album to the last one they put out. Uh, you know, or I listen to you know, I mean, that's I, I I listen to people like Gordon Lightfoot or Jim Croce. I mean, this these this is the stuff I listen to. You know, opera and. And popular music, you know, I, I, you know, or, or or jazz, you know, it's just an extension of what's going on up here. So everybody's got their own taste, and that's great. There's, there's, I'm not one of these people that thinks there's a real hierarchy to music. It's, it's a craft. It's an art. It's, it's not a, it's not a horizontal. It's a plane. You know. I, I, you kind of won me back with Gordon Lightfoot. I will say that. Um... There have been occasions where I've gone drinking in the afternoons. Very rare, mind you. But occasionally I've been known to go with a coworker 
and uh, we uh, always use the jukebox and our walk off is the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. So, you know, it's a a spectacular tune. And uh, I would note that it's uh, uh, Edmund Fitzgerald was a legionnaire, uh, but his, his, his family apparently is not overly eager to, to talk to us despite our numerous efforts to get them uh, on the record, just because we'd uh, love to go up to Wisconsin or Minnesota, wherever they are. Lake Superior, right? Isn't that isn't that where it happened? I believe. I I I, 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 don't, I don't know. I don't know ask me. I don't know ask if Ashley me about four Ashley. hours. I have a question for Ashley. Do you know what the Great Lake State is? I don't know if you know. The state that twenty percent of the world's fresh water borders. I don't know. Yeah, Lake Gitchigumi. <laughs> well, that's what our super producer Holly is saying. Is that where she's saying that the Fitzgerald went down? Yep, and Ashley right. will not say Michigan. She won't so, say it. So Anaya, one of the Lake Erie. As as we, know, we all stay in touch, kind of on Facebook uh, with the group, and 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 I will. I I worked on Capitol Hill for I think about fifteen years, and I was a lobbyist there, one of the hated lobbyists. Although they really shouldn't be hated when you really look at what lobbyists do. But one of the reasons I left uh, was because I got super exhausted frustrated tired by both wings uh to a really big degree and admittedly at the time i was uh sort of further to the right but i found myself closest to particularly democratic members of the congress who were kind of southern democrats and one of whom and i hope i'm not going to ruin you by saying this but i i i analogize you a lot to a fellow Tennessean, uh, Harold Ford Jr., who was a Democratic congressman, but he was so reasonable. And it came up to me most recently when I read your op-ed that you had written in the newspaper about Black Lives Matter. And it seems, particularly on Facebook and on the internet, that whoever yells the loudest and whoever goes to the most preposterous lengths uh, is the one who gets the attention. I found what you wrote to be eminently relatable to every human being. It was very difficult coming from any standpoint, I would have thought to have found fault in that. And I, and I applaud them for actually posting it, but politically speaking, you do seem to shy away from the wings. I I haven't seen you do that. Now I I know there are other kids at boys nation who, who tend to be wingers on both sides. Um, But how, what is that? What does that mean to be in the middle for you? And how do you see that moving forward? You know, I'll tell you, this is my own bias. Um, There is a brand of moderation that has persisted in the state of Tennessee, kind of since Reconstruction, that I really think is kind of the well found of true societal change. Now, In the current political age we're in, that is changing, and I think that's unfortunate. But you look at people like Governor Phil Bredesen, who is a Democratic governor we had here in Tennessee, who's business savvy, brilliant, kind, caring, intellectual, quiet, reserved. His his governorship ends, and then Bill Haslam's elected, a more outgoing Republican businessman, Uh, and 
you know, I've, I've been fortunate to be in the room with the two of those gentlemen while they're together. And the fellowship and the friendship and the intellectual kinship those two men share is a remarkable experience. And you hear this all the time. You hear people say, well, we can all we reach across the aisle. Um, but it's more than feel-good language. It is, it, I, I think, when people think of people like myself or maybe even like you who don't strongly identify with the wings, people tend to think of that as some type of passive resting state. I actively choose where I am. I, I have strong opinions about all the hot topic issues. The problem is, is that when you have a political system that in some way, I'm not saying in its totality, but in some way prizes itself on the ability to galvanize certain parts of the populace, then in galvanizing those parts of the populace, you have also crystallized their thinking. And when you have a populace with a crystallized thinking, when you have a populace that has become immovable, almost to the point of religious fervor over what it is they deem appropriate, well, then there's very little ground to be exchanged or won either way. You know, it was, um, I think it was, I'm trying to remember his name, came spoke to us at Boys Nation, actually. I think it was Wells, Wells Ellenberg. Is that is that, yep. Uh, yep. Is that a name? Wells, you know, is talking, I was talking to Wells afterwards, and Wells makes this kind of offhand joke. He's exactly right. He goes, you know, politicians don't drink enough anymore. He's exactly right. You know, it used to be when a politician would come to D.C., they would go and they would sit and they would have a drink or whatever, and they'd hash out and we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll break. But then when they went home to their districts, they didn't necessarily talk about what they didn't get done. They talked about what they got done. Well, in the age of mass media, that's gone. When every politician has an instant link to the world, then the stakes are immediately so much higher. You know, there is no more of this it's okay to give and take. My political position is that in the American Republic, governance has to be made with the idea of the greatest good in mind. That at some point, if you attempt to govern a country as large as this, with a population as large as this, that is as diverse as this, if you govern that country with anecdotal, highly specific, or galvanized rhetoric aimed at 10, 15% of the population, then it will, as a pendulum, offset and upset the, the, the other side of the swing. To me, the moderate, centrist, for lack of a better word, uh, slow, reasoned history of politics we've had in the state of Tennessee is a model that I'll carry whenever I run for office. doesn't mean I don't take hard positions. It doesn't mean that I, I may not be considered pretty far left on one thing and pretty far right on something else. But it means that the unfortunate pigeonhole of the two-party system that we've created, especially in the last 10 to 15 years, is not sufficient uh, for the ideas I have politically. And God willing, uh, most American citizens will realize that our, our current political space is just not big enough for people who like to think yeah and just to to close this out here it, talk a little bit about what you have learned from boy you know what did you walk away from boys nation you walked away with friends and 
And to reiterate what Jeff said, I mean, it's a week. It's in it. We have a big sign that says it's a week that'll change your life. You know, was it a week that changed your life? Because it certainly seems to have. Yeah, I mean, it, um, it, it, it's, 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 it's completely changed my life. Yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, <laughs> it made me realize that being an American is an active, passionate undertaking. It, it made me realize that loving this country is understanding that we are always in a state of recognizing who we are and the people we're made up of, and that's okay. It's okay to have our opinions challenged, and God forbid to change your opinion about something. Being around those gentlemen, who I consider to be some of the best friends I've ever had, made me realize that it's okay to be proven wrong, it's okay to change my opinion, but that as long as I know and can trust in my heart that the man or woman I'm sitting across a table from genuinely in their heart believes that they're after the pursuit of improving the republic, well, then they're just as, their efforts are just as valiant as mine. Now, that was what I took away from Boys Nation. Perfect. Jeff, you got any final thoughts? I'm just kind of upset that I'm too old to go to Boys Nation. It would be kind of creepy. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, I, and uh, my final thought really is just that, uh, and it came up during Mark's questioning of you, is I, I preach often about political intellectual integrity and how it's how it seems to me that uh, no umbrella of a wing or anything else can encompass the full totality of someone's thinking. What I what I think about peanut butter should have nothing to do with what I think about sunshine. But the way that we do it now is you, you and I might agree on peanut butter. But if we disagree on sunshine, I'm all of a sudden now the enemy. And we blame politicians for a lot of things. But uh, and I'm going to ask you one final question. You're supposed to just give a final thought. Um, doesn't some of the doesn't some of the fault lay with we the people? Aren't the politicians really just fighting for our vote? And that the the gap that we've created makes them again, specialize, hyper-target people that they can convince to show up to the polls because the idea isn't to govern, the idea is to win. So isn't some of that on us, the way that we behave towards each other? Yeah, well, I mean, Americans are, if I had to have one critique of what of what I feel like has happened that's, that's after that is uh, we've become very, very lazy in our spirit. We've 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 allowed ourselves to be lulled into the idea that we somehow need politicians to tell us what we feel, um, and that's not true. Uh, you're right. Politicians are trying to secure votes, and 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 that's not inherently bad. But when you have a populace that is relatively uneducated about the functioning uh, the functions of the government, which we are. And when you have a populace that no longer trusts in its own intellectual ability to exact change and reckon with forces larger than me and myself personally, 
then it becomes a bad then it becomes a bad thing. So yeah, I think uh, I think the populace does share the blame, um, and I think it's an overarching blame is that we no longer trust ourselves uh, to determine what's best for us. Look at look at Jeff asking a question. Now he's forcing me into hating sunshine and peanut butter. That's you know the way it's going to be. <laughs> Ashley, any final thoughts? I just want to say this has been a very profound conversation, and I appreciate the wisdom that you have brought. And I, I wish I could just duplicate you, and I, I wish I could take you to my class. I'm, I'm doing my master's in uh, public leadership. I just want to pop you in there, and I just want people to hear what you have to say, because what you have to say is important. And you're very well informed, and I have no doubt in my mind that whatever endeavor you set yourself up for, you are going to be successful. Thank so. you very much. You're welcome. Well, Naya, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you at Carnegie Hall. I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Supreme Court someday. And, <laughs> and God willing, someday we'll see you in the White House. But, guys, from all of us, thank you, Naya, for joining us. Jeff, good seeing you. Ashley, good seeing you. And we will talk to you guys later. Bye bye. Thanks so much. <laughs>